Amen. We can go ahead and grab a seat. Thank you to the worship team for leading us this morning. And uh, yeah, so uh, blessed to be able to continue to worship each and every week together and uh, just be reminded of of, uh, who it is that we worship and why we worship this God. And uh, we want to do as we just uh, sang, and we want to set our uh, mind, our heart upon the Lord and do so through his word. So I want to invite you to grab your Bible. Uh, if you brought one, hopefully you did, you can uh, take that out. And we're going to be in the book of Second Thessalonians this morning. We're continuing in our series uh, called Living Hope. If you do not have a Bible and you are here in the room with us, you can go ahead and grab one uh, underneath one of the seats in front of you. If you are home, so glad you can join us. I don't know where your Bible is, but you can go grab it, find it. I want you to be able to see for yourself uh, with your eyes uh, in God's Word. Um, this is uh, what we do each week is we open up God's Word and we learn from its pages and we hear from God in this time and through this time. And uh, I am excited about where we're going this morning. As I said, we are continuing in a series that we're calling Living Hope. We've been walking through together as a church the letter to uh, the Thessalonians um, that's called First Thessalonians. And now we are continuing on and we're looking at the second letter called Second Thessalonians. And uh, some time has passed between these letters. We don't know how much exactly, but we know that obviously some time has passed. And I'm excited about this. I, um, I've never uh, continued on sort of doing two letters in sequential order like this. And so uh, I, as I, we, were, we were kind of laying out the series and looking at uh, this letter, Second uh, Thessalonians kind of takes some of the similar themes of First Thessalonians and kind of expands on them, hits them from a little different um, angle, but it's not necessarily um, uh, brand new topics or brand new themes. And so I I think this has um, some more uh, timely and helpful uh, truths for us as we continue to just walk through these letters. This is what we like to do, kind of verse by verse, line by line, paragraph by paragraph, just opening up God's word and learning from it. And so I'm excited about uh, continuing on in this. Uh, just to kind of set uh, where we're headed this morning, um, some of you kind of know my, my story a little bit in ministry, um, those that have been around for a while or maybe um, heard, but I, um, I, I kind of pursued ministry, vocational ministry as a um, as a job, if you will, uh, kind of early in life. I, I went to uh, from high school to Bible school with the... Um, uh, just desire to be in and a part of the local church, love the local church, uh, really see God's working in and through the local church. And um, so I had a real heart for uh, students, for youth, uh, middle school and high schoolers primarily. And so that is sort of the area that I pursued and really uh, spent some um, significant time uh, in and, and, and doing ministry in, in that kind of area and saw uh, God's uh, leading and, and, and working in that way. And so I uh, had the opportunity after after school, to uh, my wife and I were married, and we moved down to North Carolina, and I was a part of a church plant down there in Winston-Salem, and served there as one of the pastors on staff for 11 years. And um, much of that time was spent with students, with middle school, with high school uh, students, and um, the way that I saw God work in their lives and uh, through their lives during that time. We just loved that time. And as the church grew and, and uh, you know, positions kind of uh, changed, I was uh, asked to sort of put some energy toward a different section or different kind of part of the church, and so sort of moved away from uh, student ministry, still in the same, same church. But then an opportunity came when um, we were without a senior pastor for a while, and so was asked to preach and open God's word in that way. 
And that was such a unique time in my life to kind of spend that time weekly preparing um, sermons. I had taught God's Word for uh, many years before that uh, to middle school and high school students, but never um, so consistently and, and const, you know, kind of week by week in that format with adults. And one of the things that so impacted me was, was a couple things. One was the way that I saw God's Word um, kind of preparing sermons and, and, and getting ready to preach, I saw God's word transforming me in an even more significant way um, than I had experienced before and just saw the impact that it had and felt the way that it was shaping me and changing me and, and continuing to uh, mold me. But then more than that, I also saw in the life of the church, the, the people that I'm preaching to and, and bringing messages um, each and every week, I began to see life transformation in the lives of those that I was preaching to and saw the way that God's word was having impact. As we opened up God's word and seeing it and then applying it, it was taking shape in people's life. And I think the thing that made that so significant was I had always seen, I mean, I had seen the life transformation that had happened with students, right? But I always attributed a level of that to just kind of developmental, I think. You know, I would get these sixth graders uh, who would come in, and if you've ever spent any time around sixth graders, um, I love middle school students, think they're fantastic, but man, they can be um, crazy and across the board, like in where they're, like it's just, I mean, some of the stories that I could tell you of different things that have happened in student ministry, but then I would see them kind of grow and transform and, and mature and develop and then leave uh, as a senior and just in a completely different place in life. And I saw the way that God's word took hold, but it also happened with some of that developmental. I think the thing that was so unique for me is watching people that had been and walked with Christ for 30, 40, 50 years, still transforming, still changing, still growing. And the way that God's word played such an integral part to that. You know, one of the verses that stood out to me and kind of really captured what I saw God doing was really instrumental in bringing us toward uh, church planning. My wife and I felt um, just kind of called from the Lord to um, set out and kind of do what we had been a part of again. Um, you know, we had been a part of this plant, this church plant, this brand new church that had grown, and we just felt God leading us to doing it all over again. And so we set out to, to do that and wasn't sure where, and God led us to Madison and, and here and uh, kind of back near where, um, where I grew up. And one of the verses that I shared in all of the vision meetings is we were casting vision here in the city and, and saying, hey, listen, we feel like God is, is, is calling us to plant this new church and, and, and uh, we feel compelled and called to do it. Will you want to join with us and be a part of this? One of the verses that I shared was from 2 Corinthians 3.18 and it says this. It says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is spirit. And we really saw this being lived out and, and taking shape in the ministry that had happened and wanted to see it all over again in a new place, in a new way. And this is, I believe this, that when you behold the glory of who God is, you understand him and, and, and his might and his greatness, that it transforms us and it shapes us and who we are. And we see this transformation, it says, into the same image of him, right? One degree of glory to another. And this is the transformation that we're talking about when it comes to the transforming work that God does. And such is the story of some of you. You can point to and say, listen, when I started beholding the glory of God, it shaped me, it transformed me, it changed me into something different, somebody different. And this is what is happening here in the church in Thessalonica, 
And Paul is writing here and he's talking about this, this transforming power, this transforming work of God, which is the title of our sermon this morning, the transforming work of God at work in this church, this new church here in Thessalonica. The work that God was doing and shaping them into different people, different men, different women. And he was doing so through his word, through his spirit, through the community of believers. There was this transforming work happening. And I believe this, I believe that God is still doing the same transforming work in our lives. He's doing it here in our church. He's doing it here in this community, in this body of believers. And he wants to do it in you. And so here is, I love to do this, I often do this, like to give the kind of big idea of where we're going this morning. It kind of helps to kind of direct all of us. You just like, there's no question of what we're talking about this morning. Here it is, it's this. It's that the living hope of Christ is doing a transforming work in our lives. The living hope of Christ is doing a transforming work in our lives. That is what we believe, that is what we wanna see here in our church is that we would have the living hope of Christ transforming us, changing us, shaping us, so that we're not the same tomorrow as we were today, as we are today, as we were yesterday, that we would see God making us new. And this passage, this passage gives us some places to look for. This is what Paul is celebrating and thanking God for in the life of this church, this young church in Thessalonica. Let me read these verses, and we're going to walk our way through it. It says this, in 2 Thessalonians verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves, we boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Paul is talking about the living hope of Christ and the transformational work that God is doing in this church, in their lives through his power, through his working. And so for us, I wonder, do we see the same transformation happening here in our church, in our midst? Or to make it personal, do you see that same transformation happening in your life, in your heart, in your soul, in the way that you're living, in the way that you're changing? Do you see this transforming work? I think what, what we can do is we can take this passage and if we want to see this transforming work, I think this passage gives us um, a few places that we can look for to find and see the transforming work of God taking place. And, and what I want to do is just kind of, I think, it, I think it, asks, it kind of brings us to this place of there's a few questions that this, 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 this text would ask of us to look for this transforming work, to try and find it. So I want to give you those questions. That's how we're going to kind of shape our time as we walk through these verses together. Let me give you the first one. It's this. This is, the, I think, the question that this passage is asking us. Is, is your faith in God growing? Is your faith in God growing. Let's go back and look at these verses together and see where this, this question is being asked. It begins, again, back in verse one. It says, who the letter is from? Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. 
Remember, Silvanus is also called Silas in some of the other letters in the book of Acts. We often see him referred to as Silas. This was the ministry team that began the work there in Thessalonica. They planted this church. They moved on. God called them to the next work, moved them on to the next work, and they were writing back to the church. Timothy, remember, had been to the church there in Thessalonica. He had visited with them, and he had brought back this report of how they were doing and, and, and how they were growing and, and what was going on and brought back this report to Paul and to Silas, and then they were responding. So now we have this further correspondence, the second letter that was being sent by this ministry team here. So not just Paul, but this team of, of three writing to the church there. And who are they writing to? Well, they're writing to the church, not just like any group of people, not just you know, one person or a random kind of assortment of people, but to the church, this body of believers. Where? In Thessalonica, to the church of Thessalonians. Thessalonica, just by way of review, or if you're new with us and weren't a part of um, all these weeks leading up to it, it's been several, a so, um, couple months since we've talked about it, but Thessalonica is in uh, modern-day uh, Greece. It's the city of Thessaloniki. It is a prominent city, was a prominent city uh, there. It was a port city. It was on a major uh, road, Roman road, the Ignatius Way. And so just a very influential and important city. And so you have this church there established in this young, um, or this young church in this important, influential city, and, uh, and, and things got tricky for them quick. But notice he says, in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, so many times I think we, we you know, blow through these greetings. It's not just a, hey, how's it going? This is what, what Paul is doing here as he's writing this, is he is reminding them of their position in God, who they are as the church. And they remember when that day came, when they put their faith and trust in God and began to function together as a church We've talked about it before, but I think, again, just by way of review, I think it's helpful to see it and be reminded of how the church began. If you want to see it for yourself, you can hold your thumb there in 2 Thessalonians. We'll be right back. But if you want to go back uh, to the left in your Bible, back to Acts chapter 17, that is what tells the story of how this church began. Acts chapter 17 tells of when Paul and Silas came there to Thessalonica. Let me read it for you. If you found it, you can just follow along. It says this, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. This is how Paul did it. He would show up in town. He'd find the synagogue where the uh, Jewish people would gather, and he would reason from scriptures telling them of Jesus Christ. Look at this, verse 3. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So there was this Jesus who was from Nazareth, born to uh, Joseph and Mary, and he had walked the earth. He was a known figure at the time. He had uh, been, he lived his life and was crucified on a cross there in Jerusalem. And the story of this Jesus of Nazareth was beginning to spread. And here, Paul is arguing from scriptures that it would be the Old Testament scriptures showing, listen, it was necessary that Jesus came, that he died, that he suffered and died. And now he is the Christ. Remember, Christ, it means the, the, the savior. He was the one who saves. He is the one who saves. And verse four, some of them, some of these Jews were persuaded 
And they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men from the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar, and they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. So the other, some of the Jews and some of the city was threatened by this. They're like, you can't do that. You can't come in and claim that this, this Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. Who are you to say that? And so they, they got this mob all fired up and kind of going, right? And they go and they, they drag this guy, Jason, out of his house. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also which is a great description, by the way, talking about Paul and Silas. These two guys with the message of Jesus, they're turning the world upside down. I love that, right? They've come here and they're doing it here. They've come here also. And Jason, this guy, Jason, he's received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And so the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. All right, so right away, there was conflict, there was trial, there was uh, difficulty, persecution came against them. The people felt threatened because they were saying there is another king. Caesar is not king. Jesus Christ is king. He is the one who is the Lord. The city didn't like that. They didn't want to hear that. And so the brothers, verse 10, immediately set Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and then when they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue and did it all over again. This is how the church in Thessalonica started. Such a cool story. Such an amazing way to see the way that, that, that the work of God had begun in their life. And so when we go back to 2 Thessalonians and we see there in verse 1 when he says, To the church in Thessalonians, in God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, he is reminding them of their position in God. Like, again, they weren't just this random group of people. They were people that had been saved and redeemed by God. They believed and were following Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that's why with confidence he can say this, this prayer of blessing toward them, that grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, because that same grace, that same peace had already been demonstrated in their saving work, the work of salvation in their lives. This is how the church began. This was when... This was the day that they put their faith in Christ and in Jesus as their Savior. You know, I wonder before we go any further, do you know that day? Do you have that day? Is there a day that you put your faith in Jesus for the salvation of your sins? You see, the Bible says that we all need a Savior, that our sin has separated us from the God that created us and who loves us, and that there is nothing that we can do to earn or to achieve or to reconcile that broken relationship that the sin in our life has caused. And so God in his loving kindness sent his son Jesus of Nazareth who lived a life. He was a man, walked this earth just like you and I, except the difference was he was sinless and he was put on a cross and it says that his death, his life being given up on that cross was given for us, that we would receive forgiveness of sin and the salvation and redemption because of what Christ has done. He died, was buried three days, rose again, and his raising brings life and proves that his, his sacrifice was worthy 
to be counted on our behalf? Do you remember the day that you believed in that truth? Some of you have the day, like you have a date, maybe it's written in your Bible, maybe you know it offhand, like you have a spiritual birthday. You're like, this is the day that I passed from death to life, that I was adopted into the family of God, that, that God did this work in my life. I can point to a day in my life. Others of you, you're like, I don't know if I have the day. But hopefully you can point to maybe a season. You, you maybe can't point to the exact day, but you know, hey, at this point, I was far from God. And God worked in my heart, brought me to a place of trusting and believing in him. And by this point, I know that I was saved. For me, I, I, I believe that I, I received Christ when I was young as a child, but I know that I was baptized when I was 13. So for sure, I know by then, I was confident that I had believed in that. Was that the day when I was young and, and put my trust in Jesus as a savior and prayed with my parents? Was that the day that I was saved? I, th I think it was, but I know for certain that by the time I was baptized, I believed in Jesus for the salvation of my sins. What is your day? Do you have that day? You know, the good news of the scriptures is this, is that if you can't point to a time or a place where you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you could do that today. Today could be your day. What is today? May 16th? It'd be a great day. Today would be an awesome day to put your trust in Jesus for the salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you too would be counted among those in Thessalonica, that you would be in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would receive from him grace and peace in your life, that there would be redemption and the forgiveness of your sins, and that you would have a new life granted to you because of the work that Jesus has done. This is the only way that this happens, is by placing our faith and trust in Jesus, responding to the work that he has done. It's so good to remember, this is where this work started, but this is not where the work stopped. What Paul goes on to say is like, okay, you're in Christ Jesus, but God has continued this work. How has he continued this work? Well, he says in verse three, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. Why? Why is Paul so thankful to God for them? Well, one, it's right. <laughs> he ought to. Why? Because of their faith, which is growing abundantly. The faith of the church in Thessalonica was growing abundantly. It began there in the synagogue over three Sabbath days, and it was continuing on. They were believing in God and the promises that he had given and the work that he was doing. God has continued this work in the lives of the people of this church. And what Paul is doing is he's giving thanks to God for the work. Why? Because God's the one who did the work. And God's the one who's doing the work. And so he's the one that should receive the praise and he's the one that should receive the credit and the glory. God is getting the praise that he deserves in this little section of thanksgiving that Paul is doing. That's one of the things that's happening, but there's a couple other things that's happening. God is getting the praise for the work that he deserves, but the second thing that's happening is the church is being encouraged by what God has done. Paul, in saying this, is encouraging the church. He's saying, listen, God's at work in you. Do you see it? Your faith is growing abundantly. He was trying to encourage them. The third thing, though, that's happening is the church is being reminded that God is still doing this work. Like, he's not done yet. He's continuing on in this and celebrating this, that they would recognize and know that he is doing this work. See, I think so many times the mistake that is far too common, and if you're in this boat, then just recognize that this is something we all have to fight against, is to forget that it's God who does the work in our hearts. See, we often convince ourselves 
that we are the ones that have to do it. The hard part is, is that there's plenty of churches that are preaching that message that you need to go and you need to change and you need to do it. See, we often think that we're the ones that bring about the change in our life, but that's not what Paul is saying here. He's celebrating that it's God who has done this. It's God who's growing their faith abundantly. I mean, sometimes even the way that we pray shows that, doesn't it, right? Like, we'll pray about something. We're like, God, can you work in this? Can you do this? Can you? And then all of a sudden, as soon as we're done praying, we're like, okay, now I gotta get to work, right? I gotta go make this thing happen. And how quickly we forget, wait, I just prayed about it and asked that God would do it. Now I gotta go do it and get it done. See, we, we show this, and there is this tension that we feel, certainly, right? Because we do participate in what God is doing, right? We're called toward action. But I think Philippians 2, 12 and 13 holds this tension well for us. It says, Paul writing to the church there in Philippi, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. He says this, work out your own salvation. Work it out with fear and trembling. So there is personal responsibility. We're called to do something. But he says, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we participate in that, but knowing that it is God who brings the change. So our work is this. It's putting ourselves in the path of what God has called us to do. To allow God to work on us, to make, us, to make ourselves sensitive to him. Kind of like what we talked about last week, right? Not quenching the spirit, not hardening ourselves toward the work of God in our lives. So I ask you again, is your faith in God growing? Is your faith in God growing? For the Thessalonian church, it was growing abundantly. How about you? Would you describe your faith in God as growing? We should maybe get a good definition of faith, just so we understand what we're talking about here. This isn't the best definition, but I think it's a really good, simple one. Faith is the reliance upon and trust in God. The reliance upon and trust in God. Do you rely upon God, and do you trust in Him in every area, every facet, every situation of your life? That really speaks to belief, right? Do you believe that God is working, that he is able to do that which he said he would do. Another definition, you could maybe just pull straight from Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So it, it carries with it this belief. Like we don't have all the evidence, all the proof. There is some belief that we have to put in that God is surely working and that he will do that which he said he would do. Scripture is full of examples of men and women acting in faith toward God. What Paul is seeing here is an example of faith that the, that the Thessalonians rather, are living out. They believe and they're trusting upon God and it's growing abundantly. More and more they're trusting God. There's so many examples that we could look at. I'd like to just remind you of one if you know scripture, if you've spent time in scripture, you know this. If you haven't, it's okay. Let me just tell you one of those awesome examples of faith. And it's a crazy story. There's this guy, Abraham, where God began his work. He called Abraham out and said, I want to make you into a great nation. I want to make you into a great people. And to do that, I'm going to have to give you kids. And uh, Abraham was old. His wife was old, like kind of past the years that that happens right? Like there's, there's kind of a, a time and a season for that. And when this promise was given to Abraham, he says, hey, God, I don't know if you noticed, <laughs> but we're not really in that kind of category that that's something that's going to happen, okay? So uh, I think he, uh, he was, what, 100? Um, uh, his wife was uh, um, 90, right? 
And so like, you can do that, but it's going to have to be a miracle. You're going to have to get this thing done. And he did. He gave them a son, Isaac. And then some time passes and Abraham, God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, this son that I gave you, this miracle child of yours, and I want you to sacrifice him to me to show your commitment, your faithfulness to me. Could you imagine receiving that from the Lord? Let me just tell you, if you hear that from the Lord, um, that's a pretty unique call. I don't think God's gonna tell you to do that, all right? Let's just be clear about that. That was pretty, pretty unique, but Abraham, certainly he heard clearly from the Lord. God called him to sacrifice his son, and so he began the journey. It took him a few days. He got to the mountain, got up the mountain, had all the supplies, everything ready, began constructing the altar, and his son asked, he says, hey, where is the sacrifice? Where's the animal, dad? What are we sacrificing here? He's like, God's gonna provide it, son. And it got to the place that he was ready to take his son's life to sacrifice him there on the altar and God stopped him, sent an angel to say, wait, I have another way. And he provided another animal for him. But in that moment, what Abraham was doing was he was acting on faith to the point of sacrificing the son, the life of his only son, this way that God had promised him. And we learn later why and what, what Abraham did to walk through that. It said that he believed that if he did that, that God would still have made a way, that he would have brought his son back to life if he needed to. What incredible faith. I don't know that I would have the faith to do that. That's an example of faith in God, willingness to follow and to believe and to trust in what he had said and willing to do it, to act upon it, to trust in what he had said. And so God's not asking us to do that, but he is asking us to do some other things. He has said some things for us to believe, and I wonder for you, would you say, is your faith growing? So many times the way that we live our lives, it demonstrates that our, our faith is, our functional faith is there or there's a lack thereof. Functionally, do we believe that God will do what he said he will do? You know, so many times there's situations that comes down to a matter of faith or lack of faith or belief and unbelief, right? Like think about even uh, times of sin in our lives when we choose to do things that we know God has said not to whether that's a harsh word, whether that's a, an action, a decision, a, whatever it might be. When we sin in our lives, we're choosing and saying, God, I don't believe that what you've said or what you've called me to is really the best for me in my life right now. I want this more. It's a lack of belief. So many times the sin in our life is a lack of belief. It's an unbelief in God and his goodness and his decree for us. In our study of scriptures, I mean, so many times, we, it's a matter of belief. Do we believe that we need this? Do we believe that we are powerless without his work and his leading in our life? Do we believe that these are his words given to us for our wisdom and for our good and for our direction, for our guiding, for our understanding of him, that we don't know God apart from what he's showed us in his word, that we need this? It comes down to belief. Do we believe that? Or in our prayers, do we believe that God hears and answers prayers? We're pursuing this together as a church. I've said before, every Thursday this month, we are praying on, from 7 to 8 a.m., and we are calling out to the Lord, believing that he is going to work through the prayers of his people. Let's keep, I want to keep this before us, church. I want us to pursue after this and to do this functionally. We believe that God will respond to the prayers of his people, and so we pray because he's called us to. What about in our anxiousness, in our fear? Do we believe that God is control, in control? 
that he is bigger, that he is able in our relationships? Do we believe that God is working, that he's glorified when we act and live out the way that he has called us to? All of these areas, and we could go on and on and more. I just wonder, can we take a quick inventory? Go back maybe a year. It's really easy to think back a year, right? Because a year ago, we weren't wearing any of these masks. Life looked a little different. Year plus now, we've kind of crossed that year mark. Feels like it's been 10, right? Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon, right? We're seeing a light on the end of the tunnel. We're waiting to hear what's going to happen here in our county. We can't wait to get back to normal, right? We want normal to return, right? Like, I don't know anyone who's like, hey, I hope five years from now we're still rocking these things, still taking time away from each other, spread out. Nobody's looking for that. We want to go back. So I wonder, think back, think back to when it was normal. Has your faith increased or decreased in this last year? Do you trust and rely upon God more now than you did then? Are you more reliant upon his word? Do you find yourself quicker to follow God's decrees? Are you running to him more often in prayer? Are you walking more closely with the spirit? If you are, then the response is this, that you give thanks to God for that. God's doing that in your life. That is what Paul is so clear to say. He says, listen, we thank God for this. Your faith is growing abundantly, and so we thank God. God is the one who is bringing you into that place. God is the one that's doing that transforming work. I gave you that big idea from the very beginning, right? Is that the living hope of Christ is doing a transforming work in our lives. God is increasing our faith. Hopefully, you can see it. I just want to say this. If you don't, if you would say, I don't know if my faith is increasing, then I would ask, have you been walking closer with God? Like, have you been putting yourself in that place with him? Have you been walking in community with other believers? Have you been living out the things that he's called you to? Because this is how we follow God. This is the way that he increases our faith and grows that in us. It's getting in that path. Let's look at the second question. Having kind of set the stage with that first one, these next two kind of fall in line with that. The second one is this, is your love for others increasing? Is your love for others increasing? Paul celebrates their faith and then he continues. He says, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Listen, the Bible has tons to say about love. Why? Because God is love. He's not just the inventor of love or kind of like creating the idea of love. He himself is the perfect picture of love. God has loved us perfectly. He created us and he, uh, we already talked about, he sent his son Christ to redeem and to reconcile and to make us new. Like he showed us his love. He has made you in his image and he loves you and he is working on your behalf. I promise you this, that he loves you. He loved you so much that he was willing to die for you, that you would know him, that you would be able to restore and reconcile your relationship with him. And so we love God because he first loved us. But that's not where that love stops, is like we are also called to love others. Do you remember when Jesus was being kind of trapped by the religious leaders? Uh, He was asked this question, uh, what is the greatest commandment? Remember that? Jesus said, what is the greatest commandment, Jesus? They figured he was going to point to this one or that one. There was you know, several hundred to choose from. And Jesus responded, and he says, the greatest commandment is this, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. But then he continued, and he said, and the second is like it, that you would love others as 
yourself. And so we see that the love of God and the love of others is tied together. In a sense, he was answering and saying, hey, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? He says, well, there's two, that we love God and that we would love others. And so in the way that we love others, we are actually loving God by loving others. And we demonstrate our love for God in our love for others. And so we do this. This is why we talk so much about love, because God has shown us love and he's called us toward love. But let's be clear about what Paul is celebrating here. It's not just any kind of love. You see, we're called to love everyone. We're called to love all, without exception. There's no one that we're not called to love. Like Jesus even calls us to love those who persecute us, who are our enemies, who hate us, who revile us. We're called to love all, but we're called to have a special love, like a different level of love for those within the church. And so those of you that are here that call City on a Hill your church home, you are called to love this body of believers, this family. These are the people that we are called to love in a significant and special way. This is what he's saying when he's saying your love, every one of you, your love for one another is increasing. And so I wonder, let me ask the question again, is your love for others and let's kind of define it there, is your love for others in this church increasing? Do you love the people that you worship alongside, that you are serving with in teams, that you are in small group with, that you are in community with, this body of believers here? I always love the change that happens. You know, people, as they come into the church, they start checking out the church. They often refer to the church as like, you know, if they're talking to somebody like your church or this church or these people, and then you'll hear that switch will kind of be like when they say us or our church or we I always love that because it's like, and some people feel like nervous about that switch. Like, when do I get to say that? Um, here's how it works around here. We're pretty quick with that. If, you, if you, this is your church home, you can say we like week one, all right? Like you don't have to, there's not any special test that you have to pass or any you know, initiation that you have to go through. If this is your church and this is where you are worshiping and fellowshipping with believers, then you can say we, this is us. See, we are called to love each other here in this place in a special way. The question is, is that love for one another increasing? There's lots of ways that we show and express this love to each other. What does this love of one another look like? Well, in practical ways, it, it, it kind of plays itself out all, all over the place, right? We know how to love. That's why Jesus said, love others as we love ourselves. How do you want to be loved? Love people that way. Like, we're pretty good at loving ourselves. So he's like, why don't you just love people the, the, the same way that you want to be loved? But practically, what does this look like? Well, it happens through encouragement, by helping one another, by pointing to the truth of Scripture, the promises of God, reminding each other of the character of God, the way that he's working. We encourage one another. We love each other through prayer, by praying faithfully for one another. Last night, I was reviewing you know, the passage, looking over my notes and texted a good friend of mine, another pastor, and said, hey, man, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your church. I just wanted to love him. I wanted him to know that he was thought of and cared for and being prayed for at that moment. I did. I stopped. I prayed for him. Prayed for their church and what they're doing this morning. We love each other with our presence, like being there when times are difficult, being there when times are normal, like just being a part of each other's lives, sharing meals, sharing special events, sharing our life together. We share each other, we share presence with one another. We love each other through our kindness toward one another. 
either going out of our way to be kind or maybe going out of our way to just be gracious. We want to be quick to forgive, right? We're going to hurt. We're going to offend. We're going to rub each other the wrong way sometimes. That's going to happen. How do we respond when it does? Our loving response would be to forgive and to reconcile and to return to relationship together. We love each other through our patience with one another, recognizing that we're all not the same. In fact, it would be really, really boring if we were all the same. I'm so glad that there are so many of you that are so different from me because I don't think I could take it. Like, especially my wife. She's like, yeah, I can't. Yeah, there's one of you. I, that's enough of that. I don't need that more of that. Like, we don't need any more of me. We need you. We need you and we need you. We need all of you together here in this. But that also is really hard sometimes. We need patience with one another to walk with each other. Recognizing that we don't all see things the same way. We don't all have the same experiences. We don't all have the same dreams and desires, but all the more that we would agree on the foundational truth of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is what brings us together, right? We love because he loved us. And we love by investing in each other's lives, caring for, concerning ourselves with each other, being there through those times. That is how we love So my question again is, is your love for others increasing? Is God doing this transforming work in you? Is he growing your love for the church, for the body of believers? Let's just take a quick inventory. Think back in the last year. Would you say at the present that you feel like you're loving people more than you were this time last year? Is it increasing? Maybe this year is a kind of off year, weird year. Let's maybe go back five years. Would you say that you're more loving toward the church, toward the body of believers? This church wasn't even in existence five years ago. I was still living in North Carolina five years ago. Is God increasing our love for each other? See, Paul gives thanks to God because their love for one another was increasing. And here's the third area. The third question that this passage would ask of us is, is your steadfastness through trials sustaining? Is your steadfastness through trials sustaining? Verse four, he says, therefore, we ourselves, we are boasting about you, right? We are boast about you in the churches of God. Why? For your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Again, the church started, Jason dragged out, all the church leaders dragged out Brought before the city, persecution, suffering, it continued. It was carrying on. They were getting attacked from every angle, from the entire city. And they were steadfast. They were faithful in their following of God. They were walking through a major difficulty, major trial, even as a young church, and they were faithful. We're going to look more at these trials next week. Paul continues and kind of addresses why and what God's doing through that and what he's doing in allowing that and how he's using that in their life. I think it's going to be helpful for us in that. But I wonder, I wonder, are you, are you being steadfast through the trials that you are facing? You might not be facing persecution in the way that they were. Thank the Lord that we don't have to often face that here, though I don't know that we'll always enjoy this. There's no promise, no guarantee, right, that we won't face the similar persecution in our faith. A time might come where we're going to face some similar things to that. I don't know. But we do know this, is that we are called to remain steadfast that we don't just follow Christ when it's easy. We don't just believe when it makes sense. There are times, things that we walk through that are difficult and challenging and hard, and the steadfastness of our faith 
and trust in God is what we are called to do. And Paul is praising God because they are steadfast. They are continuing on. You know, so oftentimes you see faith, love, hope tied together. Paul here kind of breaks form. We don't see hope, or do we? Right? I think that this steadfastness, this faith, this is a result of hope. It's a trusting that God is still working and that there is a future and he's doing something there and he's going to bring all things together. He's going to make all things right. Like he's going to bring them all the way to the end and so they can be steadfast in faith, in the trials, in the persecution, in the affliction, in everything that they are doing. So how about you? Is your steadfastness through trials sustaining? When you walk through trial, do you run from God or do you run to God? Do you trust him more fully? Not backing down, not moving away from the truth of who he is. Or do you feel more prone to question, to doubt, to withdraw from the community of God, from the people of God, from him and from his truths, from his presence, from his working? How are we walking through trials? Are we doing so in a sustaining steadfastness of our faith way? You know, the way that I phrased each of these questions was individually, right? I said, is your faith increasing? Is your love for, growing? Is your, faith, is your love for others uh, growing? Is your steadfastness through trials sustaining? But that's not the only way that we need to apply this, right? In fact, I would say that if we think of all of these things as only an individual thing, like how's my heart doing? How am I doing in that? We're not, like the church is not just an aggregate of a bunch of individuals and kind of resulting in a collective whole. Uh, more than that, we are doing this together. Like we are called to respond to this corporately. And if we don't, we're missing out on a major component of the context of application that Paul is calling the church to here. He's celebrating the fact that together they are growing in their faith. Together they are loving one another. Together they are steadfast in, the, in this trial and in these things. So let me reframe the question for us as a church. City on a Hill, is our faith together, this church, this local body of believers, are we growing? Is our faith in God growing together? Is our love for one another together as a church body, are we, is that increasing? And is our steadfastness through the trials that we're facing as a church, right? This has been a hard year. We can call 2020 and the beginning of 2021 a trial. I think that's fair, fair assessment, right? Are we steadfast through that? Are we being steadfast in faith? As your pastor and from the vantage point I would have, I would say yes. I would say yes. I think that our faith is growing. We are trusting in, relying upon, pursuing after God. We are growing in our love for one another. I'm seeing unique and new ways that we are finding to care for one another and I see steadfastness through the trials. We have walked through a bunch of challenging times. We have more coming, right? This isn't over yet. We're not out of the woods on this particular trial yet. But God has been faithful, and we are steadfast in walking through this together as a church family. Amen. Let's be clear. I'm not saying that we're doing it perfectly. I'm not saying that there's not more that we can do. But what I am saying is, listen, we ought to give thanks to God because he is sustaining us. He is growing our faith. He is increasing our love for one another. And let's be clear about who gets the credit for this. It is God who has done it and God who is still doing it. He who began a good work in us is faithful and he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Praise God for that. 
right? We need to give thanks to God for that. We need to be loud and, and vocal in our praise of God for that because he is the one who is doing it. And so this is a work that he's going to do. I said, 2 Corinthians 3.18, he's transforming us from one degree of glory to another. He doesn't do it all at once. Slowly, surely moving us closer to that place that he would have us be. This is the work that God is doing in us. And these are the marks that we want to hold on to as a church, right? There's so many things that, that churches tend to look to to define health or success, right? Let me put those in quotes. Health, success, right? Attendance, participation, programs, budget, building, all these things that you kind of look at and say, well, that church is doing well. That church is successful. Those aren't necessarily bad things, but I'll just say this. Those things can be achieved by a whole host of different means. You can get to those things in a variety of ways. You don't have to have the faith, the love, the steadfastness to get to those things. But I would say this, is that those things are downstream of this, that we want to go after these things, that we want to grow in our faith, that it would be said of us as a church that our faith is growing, that it would be said of us that our love for one another is increasing and that it would be said of us that we are steadfast through trials. No matter what comes our way, that we are remain committed to the word of God, the person of God, the character of God, and doing that together as a body. This is what God has called us to. And in that, I believe that he will bring people, souls to salvation, right? And so we want to see attendance increase because we see new people come to know Jesus Christ, right? We want to see programs increase because we're using our gifts and being faithful with the tools and, and things that he's entrusted us to. And we want to be generous. And so the budget should be there and all of those things, but that's not what makes it successful. It is our faithfulness before God and the work that he is doing in us. And if we put ourselves in the path of God, as it says in Psalm 1, that we would walk in the way of the righteous, that we would walk with him in that, that we would not stand in the council of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers or any of that, that we would walk in the path that God has called us to in that place is where he does that transforming work in us. Let's give thanks to God for that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness and for your loving kindness, your work in our lives. And God, we just give you thanks. We give you praise for who you are and the way that you have worked to redeem and to save us God, I pray that you would work to redeem and to save those that are here, whether it's online or here in this room, that do not yet have that day that they can point to where they've placed their faith, their trust in you. God, would you do that saving work even today? God, we believe. We believe. We believe you are who you say you are. We believe that you are faithful. God, that you will surely do it. And so we give thanks to you, God. We give praise to you because you are doing that which you said you would do. And so, God, we continue on. We look for more and more examples of the way that you were working so that we would give greater and greater praise to you because you're worthy of it. And so, God, continue. Continue this work that you've done, that you've began. We pray that we would walk together in this, following your spirit, walking closer together. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.